Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast. podcast from the International Motorsports Association and Radio Show Limited. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. everybody, it's John Hindorf here with another one of our midweek motorsports specials as we look back on some of the action that we've covered on RadioLamont.com and our sister service IMSA Radio in 2015. The subject of this particular review is the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, a part of our commitment to the IMSA Championships in the United States of America. It was a very interesting season and to help me look back on it is one of our IMSA radio reporters and that would be Shea Adam. Hello Shea. Hello John. Uh, A season that promised much and for, in fairness, a good two-thirds to three-quarters kept us on the edge of our our seats. Um, Ultimately, the the championships... um, when you look at the championship final tables, actually aren't probably as close as the racing in the season um, race to race would have had you believe, to be honest. Yeah, especially with the GS championship, even though it started off so strong for Andrew Davis and Robin Liddell, it sort of closed back up toward the end of the season with the Rumbum guys really making a run at it. And it wasn't until Circuit of the Americas that we really knew going into the final race of the season, who was going to be the champions. But it it wasn't until about halfway through that race that we found out who was going to be the ST champions. Mm. It came right down to the wire for that. And the points can be deceiving. Um, If we start with, uh, with, yes, it can. The points can be deceiving. Um, Let's start with some general observation. Um, ST... Uh, is the street tuner category, GS, Grand Sport, uh, if you will. We had, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 rounds? 11 rounds. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, seven. should be. 10, yes, sorry. Uh, <laughs> basic arithmetic, never my best thing. Um, 10, <laughs> 10 rounds spread across the season, starting at Daytona, ending at Road Atlanta. The, uh, a calendar that... Uh, looks pretty solid uh, all the all the big places uh, ticked off uh, Lime Rock Park a particular uh, I thought a, a, a particular hit uh, also VIR that was pretty good racing as well it was a big battle all year round in, in uh, all year long in uh, Street Tuner uh, between the CJ Wilson Racing Masters and the Freedom Autosport Masters but Credit the Marillo Racing guys, RS1, Rensport 1, uh, for keeping those guys uh, pretty honest throughout the season. Also, the, the Hondas, the front-wheel drive cars from uh, Honda uh, North America, HRT, and Next Level European guys, they had a good run as well. And a couple of new entries and new cars as well. Not full season, um, but the the Compass 360 racing guys uh, brought their cars on uh, from, I think it was Sebring onwards, wasn't it? The it new, was. The new S3 Audis. Uh, great to see those guys. Great to see the minis coming in. I mean, really a very, very good variation of cars across the season. Exactly what we've been used to seeing in Conti over the last few years. Yeah, it really has become one of the most exciting series to watch just because the quality is so good. Race after race, you know you're going to get into good battles. But as you mentioned, some of the teams maybe not running full seasons or with varying driver lineups as we saw with the minis, it really was a culmination of growth throughout the season because whereas the Compass 360 guys didn't start in the Audis at Daytona, they were still running their Honda program. Mm. They got the Audi at Sebring. They won the last race of the year. That's growth. The uh, minis yeah, made it on the podium at Road Atlanta. So it really was everybody sort of finding their own and, and setting up for what should be a very good year next year. Uh, 
just to underline this, we're not talking about full season here, but over the year, uh, there were 39 different entries in Street Tuna and 28 in GS. Now, not all in every race, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't have had enough paddock space. But <laughs> it, it was good to see um, that amount of interest. Um, the... I've always thought the Conti series has been a bit of a slow burner, almost a little bit of a stealth series, a well-kept secret, if you will. Well, it really exploded this year for me, the coverage uh, on uh, the IMSA.com app uh, and the TV coverage. It's really taken it to a bigger audience. And we saw trackside as well, people wanting to see it, wanting to hear us talk about it. I really think it's turned a corner this series now. It has, and it's the kind of thing that, Honestly, before, uh, not last year, but the year before in 2014, I didn't really know that much about the series. And after seeing the race at Circuit of the Americas, I was hooked because these guys get so into it and they are drivers that we're going to be seeing in the future. This sort of support series has been through Grand Am for many years, whether it's had different names, but it's been there the whole time. And we've had a lot of guys in our cars now in the Tudor United Sports, or what was the Tudor United Sports Car Championship this last year, what will be the IMSA WeatherTech Championship in the future. They came from this series. They they started out in this route. And this year we had 171 different drivers participating oh, in the series over the year. And I guarantee you there will be more than that next year because a lot of people will want to come drive. Porsche, Mazda, Honda, BMW, Audi and Mini Cooper as manufacturers in street tuna. BMW, Nissan, Ford, Porsche and Chevrolet uh, in in Grand Sport. We'll come to Grand Sport in the moment, but Street Tuna. Um, I, the thing I liked about this this year, Shea, was that at different tracks, different cars had different strengths and weaknesses. And whilst I understand that there's a certain amount of balance of performance always going on, ticking over in the background here, what we didn't get this year, and I think that the series was much the better for it, it wasn't as if there was changes after or before every single race. It was kind of expected that the Mazdas would do well. For example, at Mazda Raceway Laguna Sega, it suited the little nimble, fast cars, whereas at certain other places, the BMWs or the Porsches in Street Tuna were doing slightly better. And, of course, when it rained... Um, good luck to the Audi Quattro's because you know that's what they were there for, and that that to me is the essence of this type of racing that you've got to you've got to expect that some cars will be better in some places than others. Yeah, and, and the Mazdas were feeling really good about that weekend, John, in, in early May when uh, they came out with four out of the top five positions in ST were held by Mazdas, and they knew going into the weekend that they were going to have a very good chance at locking out the podium, which they did. But then you went to another track that's very different from Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, like Lime Rock, where, again, the Mazdas showed up being very good for the second year in a row. It was the consistency. It wasn't a big surprise. It was how the Mazda did the rest of the year at some of the other tracks that maybe was a bit... I wouldn't say unexpected, but not not supposed to be. Like when they went to Circuit of the Americas and we had that fantastic battle at the end between uh, Spencer Pompelli and the RS1 Porsche and mm-hmm. Stephen McAleer for the win. They hadn't expected to be so quick out of the gate at that particular track, and the Hondas as well. I can remember at one point, uh, I think the one with Ryan Eversley behind the wheel was up in the top five. And he told me afterwards that they didn't expect to run that high up even with pit stop cycles. So different tracks suit different cars, which makes it really fair throughout the whole championship because you know some places you're going to be really good and some places you're going to have to fight really hard. Uh, in G- in uh, ST, the battle was between um, the guys who eventually finished up uh, first and second uh, in the championship uh, with Stephen McAleer and Chad McCumbie, of course, taking the championship. What looks again, and we'll, uh, you know, it does look, and so that was a, a fairly straightforward victory, 264 points to 243 for Andrew Carbonell uh, on his own uh, in second place because Liam Dwyer uh, had to miss the VIR round um, because of him not being very well. 
but in fact it was much much closer to that and in some ways for the certainly for the start of the season the man who was on fire was Justin Piscatel particularly in the qualifying section Yes, the pole man. I think that's a name that should stay with him for a while. What really got to Justin, though, was inconsistency, not with himself, but with his ride. I think in the first three rounds, he was with three different teams and three different cars. I mean, the poor guy just didn't find a home until Alara Racing picked him up for good. Uh, That was after Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, though. That was more than halfway through the season. So he really struggled with the whole idea of going from team to team. And that's not a fault of his by any way, shape, or form. It was just a circumstantial thing. But Justin, I think, after a few races in the season, was about third in the championship with no drive for the next race. Correct. It's unbelievable. That is somebody who needs a full-time season ride to see what he can do in terms of a championship fight. Yeah, he scored well, particularly at Daytona, uh, Mazda, and Watkins Glen. Uh, not such good races at uh, at Sebring. Certainly, Lime Rock had no luck there, and Quarter uh, as as well. Uh, but I think did enough. Surely did enough to be uh, to be recognised uh, by somebody later on in uh, in the season or in the early part of of this season. Uh, Honourable mentions as well to a number of people. Well, Spencer Pompelli. A uh, very, very experienced driver. Could have had an even better season uh, than he did. Uh, Road America in particular was very unlucky there with the car running out of fuel. What a couple of corners before the end of the race. At the bottom of the hill, I think, <sighs> is where his car finally came to a stop. But that was four painful. Wins. Four wins for Spencer on the year. I mean, if he'd gotten one more, he would have won half the calendar year. So they really mounted a charge back. They did not have a great Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca weekend or Watkins Glen. Those two bad weekends in a row really hurt them in terms of the championship. But the fact that Spencer was able to help Luis Rodriguez in his first season of racing to come third in the championship, I'm really excited to see what they can do next year. Uh, Also a word, got to have a word, for Sarah Catania uh, and... I thought her performance this year was uh, was exceptional. The front-wheel drive cars weren't always best suited to some of the circuits, particularly when it was warm, uh, and they were chewing through uh, tyres just a little bit. They put a, a, an awful lot of, uh, of uh, dynamic uh, uh, through the front tyres, of course. Took her chances when she could. Qualified well as well, and the, the Hondas... Uh, did a reasonably good job, but I, I thought she stood out uh, this year, uh, along with uh, now who was she driving with? Of course, this oh, year. Trinkler. Oh, and Trinkler. Thank you. Uh, I thought they were a very good team. Not sure what they're doing for sixteen, but uh, Sarah and Owen uh, made a pretty good, uh, pretty good pairing this year. Fifth in the championship. Yeah, I mean, you can't cheer against a hot pink Honda. There's just something <laughs> to be said for that. They did, whereas Spencer didn't finish the race at Road America, it was Sarah who benefited, and Owen as well from that. Uh, They came home second, which was their best finish of the season, and I think that they would be eager to put together another program. I I feel like they've been running in this series for a couple of years now together uh, as a duo, and they are people to watch for the upcoming year, because if, if anybody can mount a challenge for those Mazdas, I would be watching out not only for the Porsche, but for that little uh, Honda as well. Yeah, and uh, there's potential for a new car for them. Uh, there's a number of new cars that have been homologated into both Street Tuner and GS uh, for next year. But ultimately, uh, as we mentioned, uh, the season, after a bit of nail-biting, uh, went pretty much down to the wire, as we uh, as we alluded to. And Stephen McAleer and Chad McCombie, well, talk about, uh, talk about uh, good driver pairings. That was one of them there perfectly complemented each other. It didn't matter what the uh, it didn't seem to matter what the conditions were. Watkins Glen has to be a standout in the most awful conditions. Uh, Chad McCombie in particular finding his well, I was going to say finding his feet, but almost finding his water wings. Driving, a lot of people probably know now, um, oval, uh, a lot of oval experience, a lot of dirt track experience, and used that to brilliant effect at Watkins Glen in terrible conditions. 
Yeah, that's when he found the cushion, is what he told me in the interview, which you loved. And uh, the two of them, they should have a giant Big Mac on the side of their car, a sponsorship in the future, because that's what they were, the the McAleer-McCombie joint effort. Not only were they team owners for a team running in a completely different series, they had to worry about this as well. And they haven't announced their plans for next year yet, but I am so hopeful that they'll be back in some way, shape, or form. Because this year in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, they were so much fun to watch. And you could really cheer for them. And this year, they lost their sister car. They had the uh, the five, and I believe it was the three, was the other car that they had run with the year before uh, with Mark Miller and uh, Tyler McQuarrie. They only ran a couple of races, but they ran in GS. They ran a different category for the most part. So this was them with one less car to figure out setups, to figure out how the tires were going to wear. And yet it worked. Mm. So that's a brilliant shout out as well to the whole CJ Wilson Racing organization. They had, as we said, they had a couple of decent results. Uh, Watkins Glen was one. Lime Rock uh, was another. That had us very much on the edge of the street by the uh, of our seats. By the time we got through to quarter, another good result for them. Uh, and Road Atlanta, it was about doing the arithmetic and looking at what uh, Andrew Carbonell and Liam Dwyer could do. Can't say enough about those two. Liam Dwyer's story we have documented uh, long and hard, and I've known Liam for, what, two or three years now, and his exploits behind the wheel, uh, as well as in life in general, are quite extraordinary and inspirational. Um, shame that he couldn't do the full season, but absolutely... Uh, 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 absolutely no issue with what those guys did this year and in everybody's heart Liam was was second in the championship along with Andrew wasn't he he really was he was persistent and it's really interesting to listen to him talk because he mentions how his growth throughout the season was noticeable by other drivers on the track and how driving with Andrew, he's just such a superstar. I mean, Andrew Carbonell was one of the best kept secrets in any racing paddock, Good point. but that Liam would be frustrated with himself if he did any little thing wrong, but then he wouldn't have Andrew come to him and say, man, you screwed up with this. He would beat himself up for it. He didn't need that driver coaching there. And um, it was actually kind of interesting. Liam mentioned in a podcast that he did uh, not too long ago, the reason he missed VIR was because his prosthesis wasn't fitting properly Mm -hmm. and he didn't feel good enough to drive the car. That takes a big person to be able to stop themselves from racing, especially when at that point he was so immersed in the championship. I I think in everyone's mind in ST, he was second in that championship as well. I agree. Ultimately, it came down to a really crazy uh, race uh, at the end of the season at Road Atlanta. And sadly, Andrew Carbonell um, put the car off the track. Uh, and a really unfortunate end to that championship battle because it had been so clean and so interesting. Not always right at the front of ST, but those obviously the cars were pretty much the same, so they were very evenly matched. And often, Shea, it was differing tactics that just made the difference between whether they got wins, and it was wins for Stephen McAleer and Chad McCombie at Watkins Glen, for Andrew and Liam at uh, at Mazda, uh, and another win, I think, at Lime Rock, wasn't it, for Stephen and Chad, uh, just slightly different tactics because they were so evenly matched. Yeah, and it, it was uh, playing the part in the pits who had mm. the quicker crew for the weekend. It it was all about strategy and when the flags flew really played a big part as well for cautions and whatnot. But it really was a shame that the worst finishing position Andrew had all year was at Road Atlanta. And you just wonder, maybe if, if there hadn't been that rain, what mm. could we have seen? And it's always possible to, to question the what-ifs, but at the end of the day, it was the uh, McAleer-McCombie team who did come home with the championship. And to be honest, I think that's just going to make Carbonell and Dwyer hungrier for next year. Yeah, and at PLM, Compass 360 got their uh, first win of the year, did they not? Yeah, and what a win it was with uh, Kyle Gimple and um, Paul Holton. And Gimple won the year before 
with Compass 360 in a Honda driving with Ryan Eversley. And then with the Audi this year, he was even happier this year than he was last just because that team had been working all year and been telling everyone, you know, we're getting better. It's a growing pain thing, though. It's a learning year. You hate that phrase when you're a driver because it means you're not going to get trophies. Well, at the end of the year, it resulted in a very big trophy for them. And uh, Carl Thompson, the owner of Compass 360, one of his cars ended up on its side on the last lap. That's right. He still had a big smile on his face because the other one was in victory lane. Yeah, that is the absolute definition of mixed emotions at the yes. at the end of the race. One car at turn one uh, on its side. Uh, driver fine, by the way. The other one goes through to take the victory. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Carl Thompson there because he's a... Uh, a gentleman that, and I, I use that word advisedly in, in every sense, that I didn't know very well, got to uh, to do an Audi event with him uh, before VIR and had a, a very long and very useful chat with him and is the absolute poster boy for the IMSA series. Obviously, long-time supporter of Continental Tyres, mainly with Honda, has moved his whole operation now over to Audi with those two S3s, uh, the, uh, the the little S3s that he's got, which were streetcars. They were the first two yeah. S3s in Canada. Um, he bought them off the showroom floor and turned them into to race cars. Obviously, he's got the R8 that he's been racing uh, in the in the big show as well, and we continue to do so. It's a it's a fantastic uh, it's a it's a fantastic story and. As I say, a bit of a poster boy for, for the IMSA Ladder Series. Yeah, I can picture Carl walking into a Toronto-based Audi dealer and saying, I'll have two, please, and uh, waiting every day until they arrived. But Are they here he yet? Really Are they here is... yet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's Carl on the phone again. No, they're not here yet. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's that's the kind of excitement that he has. And in seeing him as a team owner developing over the years – He's the kind of person that you not only want running your team, you want him in charge of every strategy move because he thinks it through. He is a very, very good person to have on the pit wall. Mm. And as you said, IMSA wants him, but they need to make sure that they hold on to him because he's the kind of team owner that some other series might come along and try to whisk him away. Well, and and in fairness, he is still running a split program because he still has... Uh, some cars. They I think he still does. He still run the Hondas in World Challenge. I he, he certainly he was running something in World Challenge uh, this year. If it wasn't the Hondas, it was another Audi. Because I remember him having to be be aware. But I, I I like the guy. I like the fact that he wanted to do something different and not just uh, buy another off the shelf car. Uh, he's really committed to to what he does. Uh, Audi finished fifth in the championship thanks to to them ahead of Mini Cooper, but behind. BMW, not a great year for BMW in street tuner. All the names were there, the Bimmer World and the drivers, um, but they just didn't didn't get the run this year in street tuner. It was really quiet for them. Mm. I mean, the former champions, uh, Terry Borchell and Mike Lamar, finished 16th mm. in terms of the championship this year. And uh, their best finish came at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, where we actually had a bit of a smaller field because there were a couple of teams that didn't want to cross the border. I think they were intimidated by Canada. Um, but the BMW is oddly quiet, and I think it was just the might of the Mazdas and the Porsches and even the Honda that really overpowered everybody else. Yeah, well, Honda finished uh, three points ahead in the Manufacturers' Championship. They were in third position on 299 points, 312 points for Mazda. Perhaps a little bit of a shock when you look at how it shook down over the season because Mazda seemed to be at the sharp end of the field uh, for the most of the year. And indeed, of course, it was two Mazda crews who were battling for the Drivers' Championship and the Teams' Championship. Uh, But it was Porsche that on uh, sorry, 323 points uh, took the manufacturer title. Congratulations to them. It, it had has been in the past that the Cayman in particular uh, has been very well suited uh, to uh, the the GS to the ST category. Excuse me, here. Um, but um, there was a, a little bit of change in the balance of performance, and I think just what you were talking about there about the guys from BMW. It just seems as though the standard went up a lot this year and everybody had to work a little bit harder. 
Yeah, and, and especially toward the end of the season, even from the midpoint of the season, yes. looking at the results from most of the Porsche drivers consistent across the board, just finishing very well, getting podiums, getting wins, and thinking more about the long-term picture, we had quite a few drivers who were thinking about where they wanted to get themselves in the championship, such as Eric Foss, another former champion, looking at a points battle. But then you had drivers like the RS1 guys who weren't really in it for the championship, at least so they thought. So they were just going for wins. Yeah. It, it really balanced out in a funny way and did wind up with Porsche getting the manufacturer title. Yeah, um, RS1 and Marilla Racing uh, actually tied on 232 points, but RS1 getting the third spot on count back in the team's championship. Freedom Autosport second on 243 and 264 CJ Wilson Racing. Good for them. Um, obviously, we know Declan Brennan, who has been part of our team for, for many years. He's part of that team. Could not have been more excited down the years. C.J. Wilson's a big name. Our non-American listeners perhaps don't really understand just what a big name C.J. is as a starting picture in, in Major League Baseball. And, you know, to have his name attached to this championship is no bad thing. No, that's that's for sure. There was uh, an article about him actually on the main page of a news website the other day, and it was the kind of thing of oh, I know him because I'm I'm not a big baseball fan, yeah. but you now realize what a character he is in terms of a global presence for sports, not yeah. just racing, not just baseball, but the two, and the fact that we have somebody with that kind of name. An image, it means the world. But the fact that he's successful at both fields of expertise, that makes it even better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, give me your picks of the season in, in Street Tuna. There's a lot. I mean, we've mentioned some of them mm. already. There's a lot of people that you could quite easily uh, pick out. In fact, pretty much most of the top 10 have got something uh, to recommend them over the year. But who stood out for you? Um, well, honorable mentions first. I'll give Justin Piscatel for all the polls. That Agreed. guy is unbelievable over the span of one lap. He's a very good driver otherwise as well. Uh, Liam Dwyer, in terms of his growth this year, he was very, very fun to watch uh, from Daytona all the way through. Um, I would say Spencer Pompelli put on a heck of a show this year, giving us four wins for the Porsche. But Chad McCombie came to his own. That's my pick. Uh, he really found his comfort zone and found the limit and discovered just how quick he can be in cars that turn left and right. Yeah, a bit of a worry if he ever really takes this completely seriously. I say that with tongue slightly in cheek because every time he gets <laughs> behind the wheel, he's taking it seriously. But by his own admission, Shay, he's still learning. And that must put the the fear through the rest of the paddock because, you know, if he really sets his mind to this and does this full time, remember he's still doing oval racing, that quite remarkable. Surely has to have a future in sports car and endurance racing if he wants to go down that path. Yeah, and that's the big if because it is a big commitment to go from having a hundred races a year on your calendar as a bare minimum if you're doing the roundy round stuff as opposed to having 10, 15. Yes. And that's a big mental hurdle for him to try and accept. But if he does, oh boy, look out, because there are going to be a lot of impressive wins next to his name. Uh, I also would uh, just give a little mention to his teammate, Stephen McAleer, a midweek motorsport listener, of course, and someone whose career we've been very closely involved with, uh, mentioning him going all the way back to when he was working in a supermarket and he'd gone and won a championship and then had to go back pretty much to, to stacking shelves. Um, we told the story. Uh, it got him a bit of publicity. He moved on. It, it's nice to see uh, one of our collective winning a championship this year. It really is. And, and not to take anything away from uh, Chad McCombie, it was Stephen Mackler that was the quote-unquote closer at the end of each race. He was getting in the car and his battle with Pompelli at Circuit of the Americas for the last whatever it was. And and also just throughout the, the whole year, his final stints were so fun to watch yeah. because you knew that he was pushing at 150% yeah. and that no matter what, the car was going to come home clean, 
but he was going to do everything he could to try and push people out of the way, maybe in, in a safe manner, yeah, yeah. to try and get the win. Uh, actually, I'm pleased you mentioned that because that, to me, uh, in ST, I think that was the battle of the season in terms of just the how long it went on through the race, the fact that we had no outer limits to the circuits that weekend for various reasons that we won't go into again, the, the fact there was different lines being employed... Um, any other two drivers, that surely would have ended uh, in disaster for one, other or both of those cars. It didn't. It was clean. It was exciting. It was actually quite remarkable uh, racing to watch. If you haven't seen it, it's worth looking back up again. Uh, you're listening to our review of 2015's Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, uh, part of the IMSA package, IMSA Radio's uh, Shea Adamus with me, John Hindoff. Let's move on to the big class, the uh, the grand sport class. Um, literally, top to bottom, 48 drivers uh, in this throughout the year. Not all full season, but littered with big names. Um, let, let's start... In fact, you know, I don't even know where to start. Um, in in terms of uh, the manufacturers, first of all, let's start with the, the different manufacturers. BMW, defending champions, did not have a great year this year. Trent Hindman uh, paired up with IHG Rewards Club driver uh, Ash, Ashley Freiberg. Didn't get the results they deserved. Uh, finally got a result at the end of the season, got their first victory. The the good thing I would take from that, from uh, the driving point of view, was that Ashley was at least as quick, if not quicker, than the outgoing champion. But that car took a long time to get competitive this year. It did, and it, it had a lot of uh, little niggling issues throughout, especially the beginning of the year. I seem to remember they had quite a few instances where the car would be coming back into the pits for one reason or another. And then they had zero points scored at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, zero points scored at Lime Rock. That was a pretty hard pill to swallow, mm. uh, especially being taken out so early on at Lime Rock. It was first lap, wasn't it? it was and the car had, lap. car had done pretty well. And both of those, I seem to remember, were not of the the drivers making. Balance that out, though, with a, a really strong run again, wet weather uh, at Watkins Glen, and both Trent and Ashley drove very well there, and that was a real confidence booster for them in the middle of the season. Yeah, and, and looking back on their season as a whole, they did have five podiums out of the ten races. Mm. You wouldn't guess that thinking back on it, or, sorry, not podiums, five top 10 finishes. That's pretty darn good yeah. when you consider it. That really, though, isn't good enough for a team that had won the championship the year before. And I know Trent in particular was very disappointed in the way the season was going because they didn't have that competitive nature. Part of that was that the people at the front were just so dominant, mm. but every other mark seemed to do pretty darn well and it was just the bmws that were really surprising yeah fifth out of five manufacturers in the the standings nissan with the 370s the glorious sounding 370s which surprised us in a number of places we expected them to be good on the twisty tracks very well balanced car but man those things were super quick uh, up the hill at Road America, we saw them really tearing the place up at Watkins Glen uh, as well. And well, and then there was VIR, rolled the dice, oh. didn't quite get it right. Their home track, effectively, uh, a Nissan-sponsored track, locked out the front row and ran out of fuel, didn't quite get their strategy right. Sad to see them pulling out of this championship in terms of Nismo and Nissan North America support. They were a really, really good addition this year. Bit of variety and plenty of good racing from the guys, particularly the likes of Nick Haman coming through from GT Academy. Yeah, and the sister car, Brad Yeager and BJ Zacharias, yep. they had five podiums on the season. That was a big shock to them and the whole team, and they were all really pleased about it. But they wanted a little bit more than they finished with because they thought they had a really good chance to go into the championship and not get a win, but maybe just try and squeak that second place away. 
and they weren't able to do it. They fell back quite a bit after the last race, uh, down to fifth overall in terms of the championship standings. But yeah. I am really going to miss those Nissans, uh, particularly when you think back to the races uh, like up in Canada this year when they lost at first one cylinder and they kept coming back in and coming back in. They didn't retire. They kept trying to fix the issue. And that kind of heart you don't often see because when it's a sprint race, when it's, when it's only a two-hour and 45-minute race, there's no really way to gain back 11 laps. So you save the car for the next round. Well, not yeah. these guys. They wanted to figure out what was wrong, fix it, and make sure that it wouldn't happen again in the future. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and you know, it was uh, it was a good in that respect. It was a a good year for them that they did get amongst uh, the bigger teams. Third position in manufacturers was Ford, <laughs> and uh, they were only eight. In, in fact, actually, you know, everybody was pretty close. The winning team had three twenty four. BMW in fifth had two ninety one, two ninety two for Nissan. By the way, four line were in third position in the team's championship. So that shows just how you know, sometimes looking at one set of results and one set of championship finishing positions doesn't reflect exactly what's been going on. So 291 for BMW, 292 for Nissan, 300 on the nose for Ford. It was an up-and-down year for Ford. There was a few cars got rather bent. A brand-new car introduced partway through the season, which was super competitive for the Multimatic guys but just didn't get the uh, just didn't get the uh, the consistency uh, I think we should mention as well that BMW had only one car um, in in the sharp end of the championship versus two for, for all the others so that is another reason why they, they didn't get the championship results they wanted but Ford uh, share just you know just not consistent enough, didn't get the cars to the finish in the places that their pace clearly could um, and perhaps should have got them to. It was a bit frustrating for Ford, when, especially when they brought out the new Shelby. Mm-hmm. They debuted at what Watkins Glen. They uh, unleashed, uh, who was it? It was um, Maxwell at Watkins Glen qualifying where he went a little bit quicker than I think they'd wanted him to go <laughs> to get pull. But then they didn't finish uh, with the with that car in particular. Then they went to uh, north of the border up to the home track, where it should have been great. Multimatic was ready to go, ready to get a win. They got the pole with Billy Johnson and then had that crash with another one of the Mustangs that was from another team. That didn't go well. Then they had a damaged car at another track where they had to bring the old chassis in to try and fix it up before things got going. Yeah, that was VIR, wasn't it? They drove down overnight with the car. That's right. Well remembered. Things got very frantic for them. And I feel like even though they got a couple of wins this year with Austin Sindrick becoming the youngest ever winner in the series and Jade Buford getting his first win, it really felt a little bit rushed. And Mm. it was a shame because if they had had the time to settle in, if they'd gotten the car maybe back at Daytona, we might have been talking about a Ford champion instead of a Chevy. There was just a, a very different air about them. Like, they had the ability to win. They just maybe didn't have all the pieces in line to get it done this year. That said, Scott Maxwell and Billy Johnson were still third in the Drivers' Championship. So, you know, a little bit more, as you said, just a little bit more. Wouldn't have taken that much more for them to have had a far far better season the good news is that new Shelby was great it sounded fantastic with the flat plane crank and with Scott Maxwell and Billy Johnson uh, among the drivers uh, you know you're going to get uh, plenty of excitement I thought their teammates Jay Buford who I didn't know very much about Austin Sindrick who we've seen racing in Bathurst share I thought they played their roles very well finished sixth in the championship and quite often more than just being supporting players. Yeah, getting the win north of the border was huge for them. And it was really interesting to sort of watch the dynamics because in every team you have a one car and a two car, whether it's intentional or not. And they were sort of understood to be the two car because the the main players, the people really going for the championship were Scott and Billy. 
But Austin and Jade stepped up in a manner that I don't think anyone really expected. And Austin really having a phenomenal year, driving everything he could, which I think has to do with being a teenager. You just want to drive at that point. (laughs) He really found a rhythm. And we saw it back in February, John, where he was manhandling a Mercedes around the mountain, an SLS that's not much wider, uh, much more narrow than the track is wide. Mm. He really managed to strike a good note in this series and let it be known. Next year, we could be talking about Austin Sindrick as the youngest champion in the Conti series. Uh, ultimately, the battle for Manufacturers Championship came down to a very, very privately run Porsche and a very, very factory-supported uh, Chevrolet battle. Um, at the sharp end, it went Chevrolet's way, as did the Drivers' Championship. And well done to Andrew Davis and Robin Liddell. The Plum Boys gave them a pretty good run. Um, and they, really, the championship, for me hung on two uh, separate incidents. Um, one at Lime Rock Park, when the Porsche got pushed off uh, by the Camaro, uh, and one, of course, at quarter when the the Porsche had its, uh, had its unfortunate non-finish with a mechanical, mechanical issue. Uh, it was... Uh, it, in some ways, it was a proper old-fashioned David and Goliath... Uh, not just because the the size and the displacement of the cars and their engines, but also just on the the differing uh, nature of the two teams, how they were financed, uh, and you know works drivers etc. in one car, and and very much the boys, the brothers, the family <laughs> run effect in the other. Proper David and Goliath battle, and that it worked on that level. It did, and it was heartbreak at Cirque de Americas when the Rumbum car pulled off to the side, and that was all she wrote for the championship mm-hmm. in terms of what they could stage in a comeback. But their three wins on the series, they started it off at Daytona really stamping their pride and saying, yeah, we're here to battle for a championship this year, guys. They managed to hang on to the podium again at Sebring. It was the same drivers, just a different lineup in terms of who stood on the podium at yeah. Sebring. And then it looked like it was going to be all Chevy until Road America, where the Porsche said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not done yet. And the Plum Brothers dug so deep. Watching that drive was so much fun because it Road America and then again at VIR. That was a heck of a race. Heck of a race at VIR. And and the fact that they just kept saying, no, we refuse to quit. Mm. That's something so admirable for guys, as you said, going up against the big ultimately a pretty much factory effort with a car that they work on in their home garage if they wanted to. Yeah, and again, the other thing that I'll say, there was a lot talked about balance of performance in the GS class through the year, and I know that the Chevy drivers in particular were concerned that they had been badly done to. It did feel sometimes... Um, particularly when they were on that three-race winning streak through Sebring, Mazda and Watkins Glen, um, and then having uh, finished, what, second or third at Canadian Tires Motorsport Park, to still be complaining uh, about balance of performance. The cars had different strengths and weaknesses, and you you have to play to that. And clearly the Porsche had uh, an advantage in terms of its... Handling, it's braking, and in some places, it's fuel mileage, no doubt. It was also, surprisingly, quite quick in a straight line because it didn't have all of the big wings and accoutrements. It looked a very stock car, apart from uh, apart from the paint job. It, it, is, it, it didn't even look as, as developed as, say, a cup car, that Porsche. <laughs> it doesn't, and that's part of the great thing about it. It looks like something that could be running in a historic, and not to take anything away from it, because the car is unbelievably fast, but it does look simple, and sometimes simple is fast. But you're you're so right, John. The, The complaining about balance of performance, you just have to take it with a grain of salt, because you know that there are certain drivers in certain cars who, no matter how quick, how many races in a row they've won, they're still going to be complaining about something. And if they want to be complaining about whatever it is, straight line speed, you know, pick your poison. Yeah. You just have to sit back and go, uh-huh, okay, yeah, and that's why you've won three straight? Okay, that's fine. 
Should mention the uh, Mantella Autosports team as well in Chevrolet. They didn't have the best of season, but there were times when they were at the sharper end of the field. Um, very much a different feel of Chevrolet operations. That, and in fact, actually, there was a bit of a falling out, wasn't there, between the Mantella Autosport guys and the team that eventually won the championship because they felt that the Mantella engines had a better state of tune. And in fact, GM had to sort of step in and and pull the siblings apart a little bit and, and give them a spec engine to work between them. It was quite bizarre, that. Well, that's what happens when you fight with Canadians. I mean, things just aren't <laughs> ever going to be fair. But no, those guys, uh, they ended the season really well with Martin Barkey and Kyle Marcelli managing to get back to the podium at Road Atlanta. That was huge for yeah. that team. But I'm, I'm drawn back to when we were watching a train of Chevys, one, two, three, four, yeah. just driving together as if they were one. Where, where was that? Canadian Tire Motorcycle? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. It's just such fun battling to get to watch all those cars together. You really can't ignore the American muscle power that they brought. They looked mean, they sounded mean, and they did know how to win. One thing, one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, ultimately, I think what upset me was not anything that had gone before. The quarter uh, demise of the Porsche upset me, not because I wanted one or other of the cars, but it, because it robbed us of the race for the championship at Road Atlanta at the end of the season. It was done uh, at that point. And I, I kind of want... That was a championship that really deserved to go to the last corner of the last lap and fighting between those two cars because it had been a damn fine battle up until that point. Oh, It had been the source of so much fun, especially after Rumbum staged that late comeback in the season where uh, Liddell and Davis didn't finish on the podium for every race, which kind of surprised me at the momentum they had going. But it was Lime Rock and Road America that really sort of took them back. They were still top five finishes, but the fact that they weren't getting to hold a trophy at the end of the day, and at one of those at Road America, Rumbum getting to hold the highest trophy, that was so exciting, and it really set us up for a big finish. I agree with you. We we were robbed of some really great battling through that last race. But again, with the rain, it would have thrown a big question mark into things, and maybe it would have determined the championships in a, in a different, different way, way, and people would have been complaining about that for the upcoming season. So I'm a little bit happy that at least we have something set in stone that the people who won – really did deserve to win because they did a phenomenal job of dominating the season. Well, and also they carved a result out at Road America in particular. You mentioned Road America. Um, I thought that Robin and Andrew at Road America, when they were down on top speed, that was something that you could see. And that car was probably barely a top six or seven car. And they got a bit better than that. They got further to the front of the field. Robin, on one of the restarts, was absolutely mighty and muscled his way through to get that car. I mean, they picked up 26 points there. I'm looking at the the results there now. And, And really, they could have been... You know, another two or three places back down the field from that in a race that the Porsche won, and and being able to pull out those results when, you know, if you've got a first place car and you come second, a car that's potentially can take first place at every race, and you come second, 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 you're not doing the best. If you've got a car that potentially can come seventh. And you come sixth or fifth. In the big scheme of things, you're not on the podium share. But what you've done is you've dragged that car to a finish and some extra points that really you shouldn't have. And, you know, that was one of the results for me where Andrew Davis and Robin Liddell did just that. And that's what wins championships. And that's saying something because that was their worst finish of the year. It was. So to remember that coming in fifth as being... But they were down in the the bottom end of the top 10. They were in eighth or ninth at one stage and looked like that's all all that we're going to get. Well, that's Robin Waddell for you. The angry Scotsman. When you get him fired up, he'll drive through anything to try and get to the front. And he really had a phenomenal season coming into a point where we look at him as a champion and very well deserved. But yeah, for, for that fifth place finish to be one of the drives you remember 
when he won three in a row, four on the season, and had eight out of ten podiums. Mm. That's saying something. No, I, I thought that was an outstanding result for for those two guys. And, you know, Robin, in this championship, um, a lot of people will remember Robin Liddell um, driving an endurance race and driving in the, the old LMS, uh, very much a Porsche man for a very, very long time. I'm kind of surprised that he's never got the call up to... Uh, be at least one of the endurance drivers in the Corvette squad for GM. But that seems to have gone now. The team's moved out of Conti and will be in the the big show uh, as uh, running Audis uh, next year, uh, or 2016, should I say. Uh, And that that will be very interesting. But Robin's been, a couple of times, been runner-up in this championship. And I think it's, uh, he deserves getting uh, getting this championship. It's a, uh, it is a series that perhaps isn't followed in the UK or hasn't been followed in the UK um, as much as, uh, as some of the other championships he's done in his previous uh, previous parts of his career. Uh, ho- uh, hopefully the the fact that IMSA.com and, and IMSA Radio have covered that will have, have given it a bit better uh, coverage and that uh, our listeners will want, to, will want to have a crack at it again in 2016 season. Um, a lot of people we've talked about there, a lot of people we haven't as well, barely half the field. I mentioned uh, Nick Herman, he was 15th in the championship, uh, came in for only into the championship at Lime Rock, had barely sat in the car and made a huge impression. Sad to see that Nissan won't be around uh, in this championship uh, next year because that was, for me, and I'm going to ask you about your um, MVP, if you will. I think Nick Haman exploding into the championship from Lime Rock onwards for me was one of the drives of the season. What about uh, what stuck out for you? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, well, Austin Sindrick at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport yeah. Park. We've already mentioned that, but that really was a drive where he showed what he was made of. Um, well, I we have... talk about maturity in drivers. Here's a guy who yes. is how old? Um. 17, I Just think. 17, isn't he? Yeah. And he is at the start of a very, very long career, should he want it. Yes, he's got the Sindrick name. And for those that don't know, Tim Sindrick is his father. And for those who don't know who Tim Sindrick is, go and look at Team Penske uh, and note the, uh, the staff list for Team Penske. He's done this, though, I think, in a very sensible and appropriate way. No doubt his dad knows people. No doubt his dad has been able to have a word in people's ears. But there's no doubt either in my mind, Shea, that Austin has real talent and has gone about it. And he's he's gone about it in such a feet-on-the-ground type of way. He's really got his head in the right place. He He doesn't have an ego about him. And that's something that you don't find with a lot of people, oh my gosh, he was born in 1998. Wow, I'm feeling very old now, having read that. He's just got a bright <laughs> future in front of him, and he's so grounded and so polite. He reminds me a lot of a Tristan Nunez. Yes. And he's not that much younger, but he could have a big-time factory role in his future, much like Tristan, mm. if he's not careful in the next few years. Yeah, that that's very true. Um, Talked about Mark Miller. And Tyler Macquarie, they're, they're finished down in 31st position. Again, not a full season for those guys. The Porsche was uh, in at Mazda Raceway in the GS class for for CJ Wilson uh, Racing. Now, we know that uh, it looks like they're going to go to Porsche uh, in the GS class with a Cayman for 2016 yeah, uh, uh, season. Um, those guys, they had a, a, a decent run there and seemed to be a, a pretty good team. Mark Miller went on to go and do Le Mans and we know that he's going to be doing other things as well. Proof of proof were needed, Shay, that you know this is a real breeding ground for talent, the Conti Series. Oh, yeah. We saw um billy johnson we saw him uh driving the uh ford gt at did a uh, lot of the testing he did a lot of that testing and even though he kept saying he wasn't actually there we did see him at daytona uh <laughs> for the imsa test that was quite humorous um but he's somebody else who we saw at the petit Le Mans. Mm. he was driving in the turner bmw 
So you see the stepladder working immediately. Uh, Ashley Freiberg just announced recently that she's going to be running in the 24 hours of Daytona with a GTD car. You don't have to look far to see these names cropping up in other places. You've got uh, Mark Wilkins, who ran with Mantello yes. this year. He's a Kia factory driver. Yep. I mean, it, it's so fun to see these people growing up. Uh, they grew up so fast. Ashley, oh. um, I said before, I think when you paired with uh, a series champion from the previous year uh, in a series champion car and you come out with the kind of averages and performance levels that are set against that. Yes, they didn't do great, although they finished, uh, what, eighth in the championship, those two, but there was nothing between them. And indeed, in quite a lot of the, the, the races, Ashley not only had faster laps, but better averages than Trent. And there's a young lady who has a future as well. You've spoken to her a few times. She loves the sport. And I I saw a change in her confidence through the season. I thought, you know, they were a little bit disheartened in the first part of the season. Um, it turned around at Watkins Glen. Unfortunately, then they had two bad results. But then they picked themselves up again from Road America onwards. And... Um, the confidence level from Ashley in her driving and just in her general demeanour did change in the second half of the year. Yeah, when I first met Ashley, it was uh, 2013 at Road America. We were sitting in Marion's and she was very, well, yes, naturally, that's where I am most of the time. She was um, not happy. She, she was walking around kind of glum because she'd won the IMSA GT3 race at Watkins Glen and then didn't have anything else going. Yeah. Um, so she was trying to meet people and trying to get her name out there. Very shy, very quiet. She, she was having a good chat with Marion, but other than that, she didn't really want to assert herself or introduce herself or interrupt people's meals. Well, flash forward to now, she's now won two Continental Tire races in the last two years, the first of which was Daytona, the last of which was Petit Le Mans, mm. the sport race to Petit Le Mans. She's walking around with confidence. She's smiling. She's happy. She's hanging out during other races. She knows that this is where she belongs, and she's showing that on the track. I would put her drive at the start of the Road Atlanta race as one of the top ones of this year. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's without doubt. You and Matt Plum are, are an odd one, and we haven't got much time left, um, and you still have to give me your name, but Hugh and Matt Plum, very much the family firm, um, you know, you get the idea that they're doing this for fun. You don't expect either of those guys to be named as Porsche factory drivers anytime soon. But how good are they? I mean, I think they're very good, very good indeed. And I just wonder what they'd be like in another team with another car, you know, not having to worry about running the team as well. They are good, and there has to be something said about the comfort level they have as well driving that car. They're familiar with the Porsche. They know how it handles. They know how it works. They know how to take it apart and rebuild it because they're that kind of people. Um, So there's something to be said for that, but they are both very good. Take nothing away from their driving abilities because the David versus Goliath, they more than held their own, and they Mm. should have been title contenders in beyond the last race had they not had a mechanical failure. So who is your MVP then? Um, Honourable mention goes to Matt Bell, who tied the pole record this year, getting Mm. three more. That was really big, and I feel like he should have had more results, but uh, situations otherwise arising led the sister car to the one that actually won the championship to fade in the background a bit. Mm. But you really can't look beyond Davis and Liddell. Those two were just a powerhouse team this year. They clicked. They did everything right. They got along really well. And at the end of the day, two nicer guys would be hard to find in the paddock in terms of people who are appreciative and uh, well-deserving in the championship. Yeah, we mentioned. I mentioned Road America. I will also put in Robin jumping in second, as he tended to do during the season at Watkins Glen in changeable conditions yes. and immediately setting the fastest lap in the race, I think on his first flying lap. And that, and that is remarkable when you don't know what the track's like, whether it's full wet or full dry, and Robin just getting in and immediately, oh, 
Everything's gone purple. Fastest lap of the race. And again, that's why championships get won. I thought Andrew had a stunning year this year. I can't actually remember Andrew making a mistake. Um, Answers on a postcard if you think you can prove me wrong. They will be missed and their talent will be missed from this championship. But it just means that there's a little bit of a power vacuum for 2016. And I can't, for one, wait share to find out who takes that up. Well, that's why I said keep an eye on uh, young Austin Sindrick because he's very good at stepping in when other people tend to vacate an area. And he'll be one to watch in the upcoming season as well as the Plums. You can't count them out. Coming second only makes them want to come first even more. (laughs) Yeah, that might be an old Porsche, but as you've said, they know it very well and they have developed it. Cher Adam has been watching the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge throughout the year for IMSA Radio. Thank you, Cher, for your input to this review programme. And rest assured, if you've enjoyed the 2015 Conti Series, then don't forget to tune in to IMSA Radio while we'll have the whole of the 2016 Series and it'll be all live. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now. This programme is a production of IMSA and Radio Show Limited. For more, visit RadioLeMond.com.